0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Chicago is a city beloved for its live music, comedy, and theater scenes. The first professional public performance dates all the way back to 1834, with an act involving fireballs and ventriloquism. In 1837, the Chicago Theater opened its doors as the first local theater, Since then, the city has had lots of well-known, large-scale venues like the Vic and the United Center, paired with well-loved smaller venues like Shuba's and the Empty Bottle. But below the surface, Chicago is also home to unique places where creative people who are looking for a more direct connection with fans are hosting and performing.
2: There's a hundred ways that you can do it. You just have to tailor it for what your goal is. And if your goal is just to play your songs for people and to be a part of of a growing community, you can set it up exactly that way.
1: In this first episode of a two-part series, we're going to break down what these spaces look like, why artists choose them, and how they come to fruition. I'm Mai Martinez, and this is Courier Pigeon. In this podcast, we're going to refer to venues with entertainment licenses and stages made with the intention of putting on shows as traditional. For example, Second City, The Cubby Bear, or The Metro. There are plenty of fans willing to pay big bucks to see a play or well-known artist perform, but there's also a community of fans and artists who prefer to skip the traditional venues and opt for unconventional spots.
2: When December rolls around, some very lucky music fans stroll into the Fourth Presbyterian Church. And looking around, it's a little overwhelming. But the overwhelming is just getting started because soon, Andrew Bird takes the stage for his Gazelikhyde performances.
1: That's the late Lynn Bramer of 93XRT announcing singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Andrew Bird's holiday-themed concert series dubbed Gazellehide, which he's been performing since 2009 at the 4th Presbyterian Church on the Mag Mile. Having grown up in Lake Forest, Andrew makes it a point to have these winter shows in the city, December of 2022 marked his return to these annual shows after a two-year hiatus due to COVID. Here's Andrew describing the performance.
3: Gazellekheid is a Dutch word, roughly means cozy. And it's just sort of a, a feeling of people coming together and experiencing a cozy communal experience.
2: In Chicago,
3: we would head into these dark months and then sort of fight the inevitable depression that comes with lack of sunlight takes some proactive measures. So these gazelle and kind of shows, they're designed as like an aid <laughs> to seasonal depression.
1: Andrew has been releasing music since 1996, and his albums span multiple genres, including swing, rock, and classical. His album, My Finest Work Yet, earned him a Grammy nomination for the Best Folk Album in 2020. He's best known for his unique violin playing and whistling, which comes to life in a magical way inside the historic Fourth Presbyterian Church with its majestic ceilings and limestone walls. WBBM podcast producer Jim Hankey attended one of Andrew's concerts at Fourth Church where he found the altar transformed into an intimate stage with amps draped in delicate lights and towering horn speakers. The magnificence of the setting and the music elevated the experience for longtime fan, Lisa Fry. It's an artistically spiritual experience. He gives all of himself to these shows. Um, He composes on stage. It's never the same thing
2: twice even though sometimes the songs are the same, it's just a totally different experience every time. From the lighting to the songs that he chooses,
1: it's just brilliant. Thanks, everyone. When it comes to non-traditional venues, we can't have this conversation without mentioning do-it-yourself or DIY shows. This event genre can follow a certain subculture or, in some cases, be born out of necessity.
2: My name is David Bazan. I am 46 years old. I am a self-employed musician, singer, songwriter, performer, and I live outside of Seattle, Washington. So I swung my tassel to the left side of my cap.
1: In late 2008, David just completed the recording of his first album under his own name, titled Curse Your Branches. He spent about 10 years prior building a dedicated following under the moniker Pedro the Lion. As he and his manager Bob Andrews began discussing his tour to promote the album, word came from his record label that he essentially had to hit pause.
2: We were just trying to plan out the next year, basically, and... The label had wanted me, uh, Barsouk Records, which the record cursor Branches came out on, uh, had wanted me to kind of lay low in the period uh, before the record came out so that it would be a big splash, kind of a pinch the hose strategy, which meant no touring and like rock clubs. The problem was is that the only way that I made my living was from touring and playing shows and so, at that moment, we understood that the record wasn't going to come out until September of 2009. And so I had about a year, 10 months of uh, time that I needed to make ends meet. So we basically tried to figure out a way to tour that um, honored the spirit of their request, but, but ignored the letter of their, of their request. And so we figured out that with house show touring, I could go and play shows for people who wanted to to hear me play and so I could make a living and then it didn't really mess with the the big splash that they were hoping for in the fall with the release of Persia Branches.
1: So David and Bob hit the web running. They crowdsourced with fans through email lists gathered over David's previous 10 years on the road to see if they could make this idea a reality. The amount of doors opened was more than they imagined.
2: We were looking for 30 hosts initially for the first batch of shows and we got like 300 offers in the first week, just from the email list. The only big concern we had was 40 strangers in another stranger's house. It seems like a lot of potential liability. I mean, there was probably some concern for my safety, but they were like practical concerns that we could, in most cases, solve. You can only purchase four tickets. And we were trying to keep, you know, somebody could like buy all the tickets at once. And then pretty soon it's just me and one person at a house show. And then that, that could go, you know, who knows where where that movie goes (laughs) I mean we know where that movie goes but my fans as we experienced them over the the 10 years that I had toured up till that point were just kind and conscientious and mellow folks so we kind of put a little bit of faith in that and uh, we did and it worked out great.
1: David says he's done about 800 living room style shows from coast to coast ranging from art spaces and coffee shops to record stores and even a motorcycle repair business, with tickets ranging in price from $20 to $35. By skipping the traditional venue, David keeps 85% of each ticket sold, which is far more than his cut from performing at clubs or theaters. In addition to the extra revenue, these performances and such closed quarters give David a special experience with his fans, which is priceless.
0: was the standard that I set as a
1: 11-year-old for every family vacation. For some, COVID lockdowns brewed sourdough starters. For Kenya Alon, it created DIY comedy. She's the co-creator of It'll All Be Okay, an outdoor comedy show that started in Chicago's Humboldt Park in 2020. I already had a background in events
0: coordination and things like that anyway. And um, another good friend of mine had been doing stand-up for a few years prior to that. It was the summer of 2020 and we were both at home bored and we were like, let's just put on a show. No one else is, you know, nothing's happening. Um, And we decided to just, you know, start doing them in the parks. And that was a way to start meeting people. And that was a big thing. Producing was a big sort of like push into it because people got to see me do my work in uh, in a myriad of ways, um, not just as a performer.
1: Kenya is a writer and comedian who began doing stand-up in January of 2020. While she's a featured player and producer of the weekly stand-up show Primetime at the Lincoln Lodge, she's also done shows in unexpected venues like a Wicker Park Plant Store. Pop-up shows like these have a different atmosphere that appeals to Kenya more than the typical comedy club.
0: While well, like I really do enjoy performing in clubs, um, I think there's a little bit of a different air now. I think there's a lot of comedy out there. And so audiences come in wanting a little bit like, show me what you got. I've seen it all, you know, kind of like I um, aspect to it. And so like clubs are nice. Um, but I think providing those other elements kind of brings walls down. It allows people to open up and it can be almost therapeutic versus just like make me laugh, which is cool. You, you connect a bit more. I, I would still say this is pretty male-dominated uh, industry, um, and it just helps bring a more feminine, just like not such like a hard thing to it all, um, which I am looking for more and more. And so I think that's why I also tend to um, lean towards these spaces more often. Yes, you still want to, you still want to crush, <laughs> but not so violently. <laughs>
1: The DIY underground scene in Chicago is vast and fueled by sub-genres such as Chicago's own house music and punk rock. These shows would be labeled more counterculture than others because they're often illegal and being thrown in places without liquor licenses or proper insurance, like people's homes or basements and even abandoned buildings. To learn more about these spaces, podcast producer Ariel Ravenet sat down with musician D.C. who runs a DIY spot called The Bakery out of his apartment on the south side.
3: Having a DIY space is like you're, ended up doing a bunch, because you're also, like, promoting it yourself, you know. You're also, like, getting all the equipment. So making sure you have all the stuff, right, to have your show, making sure... You have the okay of your neighbors, too, I think is a big part of it. Because this is not a necessary, like, like official event. Your neighbors are pretty much the way you're going to get caught, basically, is if you don't have a working relationship with your neighbors and they call the cops instead of talking to you. And I think also, like, getting the... Honestly, the address out because you don't put the address for these shows on the flyer a lot of times. Um, so, like as I'm putting together the show, like a bunch of people are asking me, "Day of like, what's the address?"
1: In the early 2000s, anti-rave laws were popping up across the country. Raves are commonly known as high-energy dance parties to electronic music. In Chicago, a law was passed that would punish the building owner, promoter, and performer involved for throwing a for-profit party that didn't have a city amusement license, liability insurance, or follow safety codes. While not all DIY shows are raves, these restraints affect shows in apartments, basements, and more. That's why tickets aren't sold at many DIY shows. Instead, donations are suggested.
3: If they really want to shut you down, they'll just say, like, you can't have uh a... people of this amount of people up here because like one of the things with having shows as well as you need two exits you need uh some sort of fire system and then yeah you need a license so like some art galleries like if you have a gallery spot like you you're just gonna need a license you know um as far as house places just will shut it down when the cops come
1: Some may be wondering, with all the effort needed, why throw a DIY show at a home or in a plant shop instead of just hosting in a smaller venue or bar? For D.C., the answer is simple.
3: If you do rock in Chicago, you're probably going to play a DIY show at some point. As a musician, you think that these bar shows are going to be better, but the pay is kind of the same, honestly, at the end of the day. I'd rather have my friends pull up and pay, like, a normal amount and be able to bring their drinks and whatever and just have a good time and be in community than like have to pay at this like expensive north side place. You know that like we're all just really there for the music anyways.
1: With DIY, the word community comes up often. It can mean a lot of things for different people, but at its core is creating a space where everyone can consume art of all levels together and have fun. Here's DC again.
3: I feel like the DIY shows were always two separate entities, right? They were like the show inside, and there would always be people. There would be people that would pull up to the show for not for the show, just to hang out outside the show. And they were just like, that's what they would do. They spent all their time at shows. And my DIY heydays, I was going to like three shows a week, you know. I was going to hang out with my friends, uh, talk to the bands, listen to music. A lot of shows were uh, suggested donation, but it was like, Five, ten bucks. DIY also historically has been real leftist and like radical. So like it has been about the community for a lot of times. When you play a DIY show, like you don't expect to get paid for real. You're just doing it for the community.
1: A beautiful thing about shows in unconventional places is that not all attendees are diehard fans. With affordable ticket prices, cool locations, and word of mouth, these intimate performances also attract new listeners like Julie and Stefan. Who were seeing Andrew Bird for the first time?
2: So we have a really good friend, and he just like told us, well, there's this is really nice concert, and I got tickets. I think two or three months ago, and you should come. And it's in a church, and it's nice. And we decided, well, we trust you, so let's do it.
3: It's an amazing venue. Yeah, I think like even from the acoustic, like in this venue, it's really nice.
1: These non-traditional venues can also allow artists like David to turn a first-time listener into a future fan
2: it happens all the time my guess is the only ones that i meet are ones that have had a good experience i'm sure there are ones that friends who are diehards brought them and they were like this was not my jam and then they don't talk to me after the show but i have talked to dozens of people who are just like this is my first time this person right here brought me and this is my jam i really like what you do and that that's a cool feeling
1: and David adds that even if you're not an artist yourself, creativity is key to getting your small show off the ground.
2: Your imagination can use the, the community tools and, and tap into other people's interest. And, and then you get to go to cool shows. You know, all of a sudden there's house shows happening. and I've gotten to see so many people play in this context, too, and um, it's just beautiful.
1: With all the scrappy magic that goes into putting together a non-traditional show, unexpected things are bound to happen. So we asked David, Kenya, and DC to each share an experience about a show that didn't go quite as planned.
2: <laughs> we were at one of my grandma was there and uh, there was no toilet paper in the bathroom and she went in there and there wasn't there wasn't a roll under the cabinet, no place at all. <laughs> I wouldn't have known if it wasn't if it wasn't uh, her, but that was just one where we're like, okay, I mean, no shame on anybody. Like I've, I've been there, but like, you know, people are paying. And so we want people to have a decent experience.
0: They can be unpredictable, but that's the other part of it too, is like having some kid walk up, you know what I mean? In the middle of a joke that they probably should not be walking up on and their parents freaking out, you know what I mean? Uh, like, those moments are, it's fun. Comedy's for the people. I like that, you
3: know? <laughs> that first show, it was just a ton of people. And I ran it on, like, the, <laughs> the honor system. Cause I was like, ah, oh, the community will pull through and, like, they'll, you know, they'll donate. Like We'll be cool and, like, no one's gonna watch The Door. Bad mistake, like, no one made <laughs> it was like a hundred and we made, like, 60 bucks or or something stupid. And the musicians at the end of the night were a little blown. So that's happened before. Uh, Because this is a labor of love, like no one, I'm not making money off of these shows. You know what I mean?
1: Next time on Courier Pigeon, join us as we take a closer look at how this underground scene is allowing people to cash in on their own talent and opening doors for marginalized communities.
2: I remember we used to go to Navy Pier. The Navy Pier was really big for having like cypher battles. Cypher battles were huge back in the day and rappers just kind of go at each other and they're just kind of rhyming against each other.
0: Most people that I talk to within those communities when I talk about comedy shows are like, yeah, we went and like, it's just like a, a lot of guys making pedophile jokes um, and they're turned off, you know what I mean?
3: That's low key why I started putting on shows too. because There wasn't a lot of like, POCs, you know, like doing the music and like Black people specifically.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of WBBM Courier Pigeon, our newest podcast. Subscribe to us on the Odyssey app, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. WBBM Courier Pigeon is an original podcast production. Produced, written, and edited by Ariel Ravenet, Jim Hankey, and Lizzie Baumgartner. Reporting for this episode was done by Jim Hankey, Ariel Ravenet, with editorial direction by Lizzie Baumgartner and Mai Martinez. Special thanks to our sister station, 93XRT, for providing archival footage, Economist Management for Andrew Bird's audio, as well as David Bazan, Kenya Alon, and DC for their performance audio. Thanks for listening to WBBM Courier Pigeon. I'm Mai Martinez. In memory of our best friend in the whole world, Lynn Bramer.